This is iFanboy Pick of the Week, number 734, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you who are washing their hands, wearing their masks, and uh, doing your damnedest. Boom, boom, boom. iFanboy Pick of the Week, episode 734. I am Josh Flanagan. I'm here with my co-host, Connor Kilpatrick. Hello. Sniffle, sniffle, cough, sneeze, eye itch. Let's talk about Connor, <laughs> not yet. No, not now. Okay. You knew where I was going. It would be a too long of a segment. Yeah. Uh, let's let's give Connor credit, though. It is uh, it's very early where he lives right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a man who hasn't been able to get the proper treatment for his allergies. And, yep. you know, it's late spring right now. So, you know, he's a fighter. It's the worst and I realize there's a lots of things going on in the world right now. Yeah. And this is extremely minor, but for the immediate three feet around my body, this is the worst time of year. Yes. Yes. And you are where you are, you know? Yeah. It's absolutely true. But we're here is the point. And he's here. He's gonna he's gonna fight through this. He won't really complain about how he feels <laughs> too much. In a non humorous way true. until the show is over. True. That's true. Like if he complains about it, who feels now, it'll be like kind of entertaining. Mm-hmm. After it's over, different story. Right. We are a fanboy. Every week we complain about how we feel, <laughs> <laughs> but in a humorous way. We read comics, whatever is available to us. Right. One of us picks the pick of the week. That's the book they like best. That's called the pick of the week. We're going to talk about that one. We're going to talk about those other books. We'll talk about the patron pick. We'll be talking about G.I. Joe and uh, anything else we can fit in this time. We've been running over, so who knows? It, the idea is that it's a good time, mm-hmm. not just for you, but for us. And so uh, I think that helps. Here's your spoiler warning. There will be spoilers. Exercise some caution about it. You had the pick. Go ahead. I did. And, you know, we're still not back to normal. Even though every week we inch there. I, th- I think I started out the week with five books, and by the end of the reading, I'd read like ten. We're still not there yet. It's going to be a very DC-heavy show because Marvel didn't put hardly anything out this week, so it's just the way it goes. Josh, I wish I could have gone back ten years and told you on the show that in ten years' time, I would say that John Constantine Hellblazer is one of my top five books right now. Really? Yeah. That's a bold statement. I really like this book a lot. It's a very good book. John Constantine Hellblazer number six. It's DC. It's also Black Label. It's also the Sandman universe. This is the second book in a row from the Sandman universe, and I believe that happened earlier in the year. Yes. Where we had two in a row from the Sandman universe. Also, uh, you know, and it, it goes without saying, it's not on the cover, but it's Vertigo. It's Vertigo. I think it might have actually been Books of Magic followed by Hellblazer earlier in the you year. You might be right. And you picked both of those Hellblazer books. Yes. Written by Simon Spurrier, art by Aaron Campbell, who did the art in the first three issues before handing it off for the hipster mage storyline. And now he's back. Jordi Belair on colors, Adida Bidikar on letters. John Paul Leone cover. John Paul Leone cover. He's been doing, I think all the covers are terrific. Yeah. What's been great about this run of Hellblazer, besides the fact that it's terrifically written and terrifically drawn, no matter who's been drawing it, is that Simon Spurrier has been using Hellblazer to tell a bigger story about what's going on in the world right now, which is you know usually the best kind of art in which... Someone, and, and we, we think we know who it is, is using magic to rile up Britons into anti-immigrant, anti-foreigner mentality, and it's been spreading throughout the city, and each storyline's been dealing with that in different ways, and this one we have a one-shot story in which John's buddy Noah, who we've met from the second storyline, with the, or was that the first storyline? The, the gang. Was that the first storyline? Yeah. The gang? We introduced to him in the first storyline, he's become sort of John's sidekick buddy, he's, he's sort of the new... Um, Cabby, what was the cabby? Chaz. 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 He is mute. He's black. He is very different character from you normally get in Hellblazer book in terms of a main character. And he's been visiting his mother in a hospital, and he keeps noticing this pretty blonde woman who comes every night to visit different people, tries to talk to her. The only dodgy bit in the whole book was the page where he tries to talk to her, and she spits at him. It was a little unclear what she was doing at the, at the moment. I had to, re- I had to really figured out that she had spit at him mm-hmm. but that was very minor she spits at him this black tar and he notices that she is sort of <laughs> like I don't, sucking the soul out of people or there's some sort of demon activity or something she's doing something and killing the people in the in the hospital and so he can't get the cops to take him seriously 
No one believes them. They're in like the, I don't know if it's just for elderly people because there's some, but it's, it's sort of hospice care at the, at the hospitals, the oldest patients who are sort of at the, at the end of their rope. St. Thomas's Hospital, which uh, one of our patrons on our Discord hangout said his grandfather had had surgery there. Well. It's an NHS hospital. And uh, finally, he gets John to come and wrap up the story and help save the day. And actually, Noah's the one who ends up saving the day. It was a great one-issue story that is part of the tapestry of the bigger story being told. I always love <laughs> that it doesn't always have to be this linear, you know, ongoing piece. It can be little stories that make up a bigger story happening in the background until finally we get to the, the resolution of the bigger story. And, and I think we've been talking about the fact that the bigger story here is somehow related to the old continuity John Constantine being the bad guy. Yeah, I don't love that part, but as long right. as we stay away from it, I don't have to worry about it right now. I got to tell you, the page eight, which is the page where Noah decides to go get help, Yeah, the entrance of Constantine into this book, which doesn't happen until page eight, by the way, it's just such a beautiful little bit. And actually, it's actually now that I look about it, there's left-hand panel stacking, but it works here. <laughs> you know, he's sitting at the bed, he's thinking, and then he, he gets up. I mean, it's a really nice little sequence, and then the cut is... Just this great shot of him walking up down the street up to John, who's leaning against a wall in silhouette. Yeah, in front of the pub. And and also, I want to note, Jordi Belair colored this. Yeah. Boy, if I didn't know that, I wouldn't know that. It's a very different palette. Yeah, I mean, I mean, she's got obviously amazing range and stuff. And as you, once I read that, I went through and I started looking at the way that the color was used. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's her. But, boy, it's really cool to be able to see her sort of do this kind of stuff. And Aaron Campbell, his style is perfect for this kind of book in which it's a noir detective horror story. You know, mm-hmm. private detective horror story. You know, that's basically what Constantine is. He's a noir private detective who deals with demons, at least in this iteration of him. And so the, the style, which is very shadow heavy, everything is dark, everything is sort of craggly, is terrific. It works perfectly for this. It's funny because this is going to be a stretch. All around us, we're seeing a lot of things that don't really make any sense. And you're seeing things that... You know, you, you kind of thought maybe the world had dealt with before. Mm-hmm. And when it's like, oh, we we haven't. And then at the same time, you have this comic book parallel happening. Like, I don't know why this book is this book now, because it is from a different time. And this is like an early era Vertigo book after the initial run by, um, oh, God, I can't remember his name. Doesn't matter. That, that sort of first long, Jamie Delano. Jamie Delano, yeah. You know, it was before... The Vertigo books were more sophisticated than what was happening in a lot of comics. And the way that you put it is there's an overarching thing, but it's not the thing every issue. Right. He's working towards a thing, but in these other smaller stories, and it's not as obvious as all that. And the stories are not formatted for trade. There was a point where Vertigo much fell under the eight-issue you know, arc. That'll be the thing they do. And they were very good, and it got away with it. But this is even prior to that, where like we really were still working in issue form. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why this book is right now. I, I cannot figure it out. If <laughs> if the format that this book and books like it established was such a failure that they had to shut down Vertigo and they couldn't do anything and they canceled the series, like why is now the time that they're bringing it back? Is there suddenly an audience for this? Well, I don't get it. I'm sure there is a copyright reason. There's always a business yeah. legal reason behind the this, that people just don't think about. What a bummer, Connor. That was such a bummer. <laughs> I mean, there's always a, there's always I mean, there's always a business reason yeah. why these things happen. I mean, it, this issue is called Quiet, and the next issue is, is Britannia Rules the Waves Part One. So we're going to get into a longer arc story. And at, this, at the end of this issue, John finds out that someone in the House of Commons is up to no good. So this was a nice little in between yeah. story. We've had a, you know we've had short arcs. We've had I think we had a three and a two, and so this would be a you know a one. So you're not no six issue arcs. No, no Eight issue yeah. arcs, no twelve issue arcs. It's been nice little short stories, which I, I don't think works with this character. I, like if those get too long, it it gets tedious for sure. Also, I just think as a note, this is super British. I mean, it's very yeah. like if you're not at least somewhat familiar, you could probably get lost kind of easy. I think. Which but I've been be. reading these comics for so long. Yeah, I mean, maybe you'll get it. I don't know. It's just my warning. And you but, know, Noah's an interesting character. Yeah. He's got a lot of different ranges of reaction to what's happening here. People being murdered. When they find out who the killer is, ostensibly, he's like, let's kill her. She deserves to die. And then John's like, eh, we can't really do that. And then at the end, Noah defeats the bad guy by being compassionate and showing mm-hmm. care for them. And that's... That's brilliant. That's how they, they end up winning the day. So he's a great character. He's real. I also really like that, you know, he doesn't speak... 
So you get his narration, which is kind of a cool contrast to the fact that, you know, obviously he's a fully formed, thoughtful, intelligent person in his in his narration. Well, he, he doesn't speak not because he can't. He just right a trauma caused him to stop. Okay. I'd forgotten what that was, but yeah, that's right. But either way, he communicates with other characters via this little notepad. Yeah. And so he writes sort of a very basic version of what he's thinking, saying, and he's really direct about it because of that. But, you know, in terms of a comic book, it's a really nice visual. Like, it, it works really well, and it breaks up the monotony of the word bubbles and stuff. And you also need an artist like Aaron Campbell who can communicate feelings through facial expressions, you know, which yeah. is unfortunately not something every comic artist can do. And it's not necessarily a problem in some stories. Campbell is very, very, very good at faces and emotion through faces, acting through faces. And so yeah. he, he pulls it off. He's really good. Yes. What's nice about a book like Hellblazer is that, you know, you, you have a place for an artist like this. You know, like it may be fun to have an artist, you know, like Aaron Campbell on, you know, Spider-Man for an arc. But it's not really what you're looking for. But you right. need the, the industry needs places for books like these besides, you know, indie books that 5,000 people see. I mean, I, I'm guessing this is some more than 8,000, but still, you know what I mean? I also think this is the right amount of horror for me. Yeah. You know, it's about them defeating this demon, but ultimately it's not really about the demon. Just like it's about the, the metaphor. The Walking Dead is not about the zombie. And so yeah. if it really got super demon heavy where it was, you know, a lot of demon gobbledygook, that would probably when I usually drop out of these kind of things. But the great thing about this book is it's not really about that stuff. This book also has a thing where it always, always has like whenever there's a demon, it's a lot like like good omens. Yeah. You know, like the ones who are super like, I don't know, like Etrigan, you know, like they're making fun of those things a lot mm -hmm. of times when those ones show up. And, you know, there'll be sort of a demon who he knows and they talk to each other like humans. And it's 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 interesting. It's usually interesting instead of like overbearing. Right. Yeah. I just think it's terrific. I really do. It's I, good book. I'm excited now when the book comes out. Yeah. And Cy Spurrier has really found his spot, too. He's written a lot of stuff. But, man, he, he can do this. Sometimes you just have to pair the right people with the right property. Yeah. And you find that they do better work. Yep. There was a couple of books that I enjoyed this week. It was a, it was an okay week. I had a good time reading my books. It was okay. Action Comics 1022. It, it just amuses me that some books are the old numbering. Most books aren't. It makes these books really stand out. And I realize that's part, partially I, I like saying that. Yeah. You know, Action 122. It's fun. So this is The House of Kent Chapter 1. There was another discussion on the uh, Patreon Discord about people having trouble jumping into the books again after, you know, weeks and weeks off, yeah. you know, remembering where we are in the story, what's been happening, where we left off. But here we're dealing with the fallout of the return of Connor Kent, who came back in Bendis's other book, Young Justice. And this is written by Bendis and drawn by John Romita Jr., Danny Mickey on Inks. So here Clark is trying to figure out just who and what and why and how and where Connor Kent is. Who is this person? Because he doesn't know him. So he, he takes him to the Fortress of Solitude, and he's having him, you know, scanned and measured, and they're talking to each other about where it came from. And then that's when his son, Jonathan, decides to come back with Brainiac 5 to visit. And so now we've got Clark's biological son meeting his cloned son and being very confused. I thought this was, this was a lot of fun. I liked the Daily Planet stuff to the side, but really, to me, this was about the emotional reunion between... Connor Kent and the Ma and Pa Kent who raised him in the other continuity. And then meeting him somehow woke them up to the fact that there was another continuity. Again, Bendis is the only one dealing with this, and he's doing it in almost all of his books, and I still want to know why. But he seems to be the only person at DC acknowledging the fact that this is happening, there's, there's another continuity, and then people are remembering it, but then don't seem to care or do anything about it. But as someone who's read a lot of Connor Kent stories in the past, this was a really a emotional scene where they uh, remembered him. And who doesn't love parents remembering their long-lost kid? That was sweet, but it's, I haven't read a lot of Connor right. Kent. I feel like I missed all that, so I do feel a little lost on it, and I but, think that I've never read whatever the original version is. I've just seen the different versions that come after it, so I have a hard time nailing down what he is, what the character is actually supposed to be, like his true story, he's a, whatever he's a that means. clone of Lex's and Clark's mixed DNA. Yeah. Clark in the old continuity treated him like a son because he's basically, he's little Clark. So he, he treated him like he was his kid. Yeah. Or like a younger brother, but mostly, mostly like a kid. And then but Ma, Pa Kent raised him and raised him right. Yep. I liked the contrast between the sons, though. It was interesting. Yeah, I, I agree. I do think, 
reading through it, I had feelings and I was like, oh, this is nice. You know, it's kind of good. When I, I looked at the cover, I, the cover is not an impressive piece of Vermita art. And I was sort of stealing myself for what was inside. And then there were a couple of, I think, really nice art surprises because, you know, John Romita paired with Bendis in the past has led to things that like it just uh, it just kind of doesn't make sense to me. Right. So I will start with good. He had to do a lot of facial acting and work. This thing looked like a Tom King comic. Yeah, I did. <laughs> like this, like, actually, you know what? I, like I said, on the cover, I was like, uh oh. And then when I got to this sort of double page spread, which is uh, page four on your digital readers with the, the, the credit pages, I was looking at the posture of the two characters, the way that Superman is sitting there, the way that Connor is sitting there. And I thought, oh, that's a really nice drawing that I don't know that I see from Ramita very much. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of sort of characters in repose. You can see the weight of their body. You can see that they're relaxing. Um, it works really well. Now, as I'm flipping through it here talking to you, this is a book called Action Comics, and the entire thing is literally medium and tight shots of people standing there the entire thing as you go through it like it was fun but it was like i was like that's weird that it's the action like it it totally was and and bendis gets away with it because he can write in such a way that is compelling but in a lot of comic books it would have been a slog i think which is interesting like the the cover was inked by klaus jansen and the book itself is inked by danny mickey so they have very different feels to them i actually like the cover i like i like when klaus jansen gives Ramita uh, like a rougher edge to his pencils, which is something that, that Klaus Jensen will do in his inks. But Danny Mickey definitely smoothed it out, and makes it look much more like the work for Superman Year One that came out. Yes, whenever that was, eighteen years ago. I like Jansen. I just don't know if he's a good fit for Ramita all the time. I think there's definitely things where Jansen's still like, oh, that that's perfect, that's great. I, I mean, Dark Knight Returns notwithstanding, but like other things more Did contemporary. Did Danny ink Superman Year One? He must have, because this looked a lot like that style. Yes, it does. I will give a criticism of it, and I like Ramita a lot, is that uh-huh. his Superman is slightly too young. When Superman and Connor, Kent, and Jonathan were standing around, they basically all looked like they were the same age. That mm. was the only criticism yeah. I'll give. Because I, I like his work a lot. There's a couple of things. Like, he doesn't... Uh, let's see, page uh, 15. Like, there's a bit where he kind of is trying to vary it up because it is just people talking, and he does a thing where Superman has his head dipped a little bit mm-hmm. and it just like his eyebrow raised and that just doesn't look right and then the next page is when mom pound ken are on the, kissing on the porch and i was like that's just not <laughs> it doesn't look right you know everything else about that page is great but sort of we get a really long shot of them kissing and it's just it's weird not not because it's like gross that old people are yeah, no it's just old people expressing love that's just what it is well it, it tell you what it doesn't look like the same people like the shapes of their faces changes on the next page. Well, it's interesting like they about don't them, look like the same people. And it's not this has nothing to do with him. Is that I feel like every time I see the Kents, they are different. Yeah, they're different age. There's no model. For they're them. alive. They're yeah. dead. Someone's alive. Someone's dead. They're older. They're younger. They're the traditional old yeah. Kents or the young Kents from the movie. Like it's always different. That sort of encapsulates right. DC at the pr- moment. No, you're absolutely right. And I don't. I don't know. Like if you would ask me, like right now, what are they supposed to be? I'd be like, shit. I don't even know. I don't know if they're alive or dead. I don't know. Before this issue, I would have thought Pa was dead. I don't know. It's just <laughs> buy the T-shirt. <laughs> I wasn't planning on talking about deceased. Yeah, you didn't add this in- initially. Hope at World's End. That's a typo. Hope at World's End number two. Tom Taylor, Renato Gatiss. I guess we're going to do the different artist every issue thing. It was very odd, Renato Gatiss. Usually, I associate a very different style with him. He's he, when he. I mean, again, that was probably ten years ago. He was much sketchier, and mm. this was almost slightly painterly. Maybe that was the colors from Rex Locus than anything else. I just really liked this. This is a really solid look at Black Adam and Kondok, his country, and what happened during the outbreak and how he tried to keep a lid on it. And I liked the appearance of Martian Manhunter. He was almost right, except for the weird thing in the middle of his straps i don't know why that's there and black adam is a fascinating character i agree i like black adam when he shows up he's evil i would never take that away from him but he's also he's almost like their doctor doom yeah i was i was literally i mean very much like their doctor doom yeah you get the sense that he's trying to do well all right uh, doom okay let's try to well doom definitely takes care of lavaria he does it as a dictator he does it by crushing free will and freedom but at the heart of his motivation is to protect his country now the way he does it is in dispute and that's i think the same thing with black adam but there's also there's no doubt in how doom does it like he understands everything about what he's doing and he's weighed the variables whereas this black adam in here like he's like let's go out and check with the people and he's a little like surprised about some of what he finds and doom wouldn't be doom would know exactly what was happening does that make sense right 
Doom's also yeah. like sorcerer and knows everything. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's always interesting to add him to the mix, and so to see his reaction to what was going on here was was good. And you know, it obviously all goes wrong at the end, and he does a good job of keeping the infection out until the very end because that's the story. Right. Ugh. That was a classic like Twilight Zone horror movie twist thing. Like, <laughs> well, it's funny though because Superman says at one point he's like, you know, you have the wisdom of who's it, Solomon. Yeah. You know, as part of his thing, and I was like, he's not acting like it. <laughs> like it's, does he? Maybe Solomon wasn't all that. Clearly, Solomon wasn't that bright. Well, he wanted to cut babies in half, so. I'm not going to spend 15 minutes on Catwoman, 80th anniversary, 100-page super spectacular, number one, like I did for Robin. But there's a couple of stories worth pointing out. Mostly because they, it wasn't as good of an issue. There was a lot more sort of mediocre in this than before. But you had, like, Paul Dini and Emanuele Lupacino did a fun story. And Anna Senti and Robson Roca. It was all right. The first story that caught my eye was... Tom King and Michael Jannon did a story called Helena with Jordi Belair on Colors Again. And this was a story of Catwoman telling Batman she's pregnant and then dealing with being a pregnant Catwoman until they finally they have the baby and, and then we jump to the future. I was like, well, this is a really... It's important to understand, I saw the title page and then immediately forgot everything that I saw on the title page. Mm-hmm. Immediately the information left my head. So I, each story I came across was sort of a new surprise and I had forgot the name of the, the story, which is Helena... Helena being their daughter on Earth 2, who grows up to be the Huntress. That was how the Huntress was introduced. And so this is an Earth Mm -hmm. 2 story in which we see how Bruce and Selina get pregnant and have their daughter. It was sort of a very prototypically sweet and sad Tom King story about people. Mm -hmm. And it was weird to see Catwoman's belly get bigger and bigger in her suit. I feel like they wouldn't keep making her bigger suits. She would just stop fighting crime or whatever she was doing. Unstable molecules. Wait, wrong one. (laughs) So then... There was a Jeff Parker written Jonathan Case drawn Batman 66 story that was fun. Liam Sharp did a story that was all right. Minnie Newell's story with Lee Garbett wasn't good. Chuck Dixon did one. We just we just talked about Chuck. What happened? We yeah. Chuck Dixon has worked forever. The problem was they gave him Kelly Jones on art. I never have liked Kelly Jones's art. Even when I was yeah. a young kid, I just never liked the style. With the big ears and just everything, shoulders. everything big and I didn't like it. everyone sort of lumpy. Did you read this? Okay, just making sure. Although I'm, I'm looking through it now, and there's there are some interesting things to see. That, I mean, the next story on that list is Pia Guerra drawing it, and I was like, oh, wow. That one was, was one of the highlights. It was a story about Dr. Death, I think, the guy with the skull face. A lot of those guys going around. Gases. Selena puts her into like a, a fantasy world, and it's, it's where she's at a Batman convention. And so there's a lot of you know inside baseball jokes mm-hmm. about conventions. And it's sort of funny where all the Batman characters are celebrities at the convention. You know, Bruce is signing autographs next to the Joker, and she's she's got a <laughs> slot coming up soon. And But she's like, wait, none of this is right. But they're like, no, 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 it's, it'll be fine. You know, then there's fans of hers in different era costumes. It was, it was very much like a meta commentary in a really fun way. Hmm. Then usually with these things, you end on the end continuity story so that people will keep right. reading. And so this one was was not the end story. We'll get to that in a second. Written by Ram V, who's the current writer in Fernando Blanco. And I stopped reading the book, so I didn't really care about this story too much. But I will say that the idea is that she is returning to Gotham from you know the fake Laguna Beach town she had been in for the whole hmm. run of the story. So she's back in Gotham. And this was a road trip as she returned. But the Hammer story, the big reason why probably many people picked this up was... The Art of Picking a Lock, written by Ed Brubaker, with art by Cameron Stewart. Mm. First of all, kind of surprised to see Ed Brubaker. He's pretty firmly gone from the Big Two camp. Has it been a decade since he's written a book for Marvel or DC? I don't even know. It could it's be. Not, I, yeah. And Cameron Stewart, who was the artist who took over the Catwoman book that Brubaker wrote after Darwin Cook left, after, I think, three or four issues. You know, we talk about the last Golden Age of Comics being the early 2000s, and this is one mm-hmm. of those great books from that era. This was a really great little short story. Josh, you may want to check this out because it, you know, it's, that book featured Catwoman and she had two sidekicks and one of them was Slam Bradley. All right, yeah. We just reacquainted ourselves with them in New Frontier and this was just, the art was great. The writing was great. That era Catwoman, that suit that Darwin designed is terrific. When I saw Slam, I was like, oh yeah, that's the good stuff. <laughs> Ugh, I got a feeling there. Holly, who was her little friend from year one who they brought back as her sort of young kid sidekick. That trio was a great trio for years in that book. Mm-hmm. It was terrific. I was shocked that Brubaker did a story for this book. Well, I'm glad it turned out well, and he still has it. Like, well, that's, we that's we know good. That makes me feel good. I know, but... It wasn't nothing. It was, I think it was a 12-page story. One, two... Wow. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Yeah, it's a 12... It's, not, it's, it's a... Wow. It's meaty. It's a half an issue. If you were a Catwoman fan from that era, that's worth checking out just for that. That's not nothing. 
Awesome. Uh, this wouldn't have been picked, but that story was really terrific. We've been talking about the patrons a lot because uh, they're guiding our lives in many ways. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of shows now that didn't exist before, right? and we're getting through those. They've made our life more complicated. They have, but in a good all way. of the experiences of doing those things has been satisfying. Yes. And that's important. The idea is that that then goes back out to you guys and the patrons who are helping support the show. So it is important to us that people support the show if and when they can. We do not require you to. Do we not expect you to? But when you do, it's a big deal to us, and we really appreciate that. So if you want to be part of that, you can get to patreon.com slash ifanboy. Our new next stretch goal will be announced later in the show. I was not aware of that, but I know what that we talked about it, so I did. that's good. Okay. Then there's the... <laughs> t- <laughs> Just so the, the like the previous ones, you know, we're doing the media explode shows now. We're uploading video shows from the past. That's right. They're really embarrassing too. It's just great. Yeah. Oh, everybody. totally. Like the video makes it even worse because people can, you know, like you got to commit to listening to an old podcast right. from 15 years ago. But a video show can be like, well, let me just look at this, and instantly you can tell it's bad. Yeah. For us personally. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you know, we're doing the talk explodes and book explodes. As regularly as we can, but I think we're meeting our quotas, which is important. We thank everybody for that. We're making a real difference in our lives, as well as sort of helping people get great content that they like. I just said great content. I'm so sorry. (laughs) You can go get t-shirts, items, sundries, masks. You can get all of these things over at ifanboy.threadless.com. We have eight designs there. They're not all available for masks, but the ones that are available for masks are fantastic mask statements. (laughs) <laughs> just, Someone sent them a photo of their Herm mask they just received, and it's terrific. Yeah. It's very, like, protesty. Yeah. The strip of Herm is across the mouth. It wasn't our intention, but it looks very much like a political statement, which is interesting. I mean... Which makes sense for the uh, design. That's the thing about Herm. It's... Uh, it was a happy accident, is what I'm saying. We didn't design it as a yeah. political statement, but it, it kind of works that way. So there's eight designs up there, t-shirts, sweatshirts three-quarter length, tri-blend, all sorts of things that can be put on that. And a portion of all sales of the newest designs, Stay Home and Read Comics, will be donated to the Comic Book United Fund to help retailers during this time. We're always working on new designs, ideas, kicking things around, seeing what we can do. Go to ifanbar.com slash support. If you don't want to deal with any of that, you would like to make a direct donation via PayPal, which does still happen. And then finally, ifanboy.com slash Amazon, where you can find links to buy the books we talk about on the Books Blodes. You'll find a link on every Pick of the Week podcast for the pick and for the music that's used on the show. And there's a general link. I had a nightmare last night Uh that I had ordered an electronic drum kit that was very (laughs) expensive, and I had neglected to tell my wife about it. And, like, I was like – but I'd forgotten that I did it. Like, I was like, wait a minute. Did I – because I – Listen, I ordered a record player. I got it because I took mine. I brought it upstairs, uh-huh. and now there's none down there. And so one of my Wednesday things is I will listen to records as I read comics down there. Mm-hmm. And down I was there like, being you... the basement or the no, 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 the the li- sorry, uh, my I'm in my office, which is upstairs, and the living room. So I took the record player out of the living room, moved to my office. Now there's a no record player downstairs, and it's a problem. The point being, I ordered a record player, which wasn't fully vetted in a couple situation um but anyway so that is on top of the fact that i had in my dream i'd ordered this expensive electronic drum kit and like it was going to be unmissable when they drop it off in the driveway and i was like trying to cancel it and i was like i don't i don't even remember ordering this i don't want it and we're gonna have a fight and i don't want to i just want to send the drum kit back and i woke up and i was like oh shit is that today and then i was like oh it's not real thank god (laughs) And that is an extra special glimpse into Josh's subconscious. <laughs> I told Lindsay about it. She thought it was funny. I was like, by the way, if it does show up today and I'm completely mistaken, refuse delivery. <laughs> we don't live here. He's gone. Shazam number 12. I think it's a book that a lot of people missed because if you're someone who relies on Diamond's listings for your pull list to decide what you're going to get, for some reason they listed this as a variant edition release, not as a regular release. I don't know why, but this was a new issue. Shazam 12. Written by Jeff Loveness and drawn by Brandon Peterson. Jeff Loveness is the guest writer. I don't know if they're going back to Jeff Johns. He's now show running a TV show, so I don't know if he's coming back or not. Brandon Peterson is an artist you hardly ever see. When you do, it's special. He showed up on a bunch of those Bendis books for a while, doing not like the whole thing, but parts. Yeah, and he's terrific. And this was a fun, goofy Batman Shazam, fuck it, Captain Marvel team up called World's Finest. And it, it featured a, not a goofier, but a, but a lighter Batman, and it was yeah. funny. Yes, the characterizations of Captain Marvel and Freddy are exactly lifted from the movie, but it was fun. Freddy convinces Captain Marvel that he's got terrible villains, and so he should get himself some better villains. So he flies to Gotham City 
ends up fighting Scarecrow. Scarecrow douses him with his gas. That's a problem. Batman comes, saves the day, and they have a nice conversation about them both having crocodile villains. And I thought that was hilarious. And Batman yeah. feels bad for him, so he, he, he plays along a little bit. <laughs> he does at one point call him Bill in the fight, and I was like, he wouldn't do that. Yeah. Like, he's like, Bill, up! <laughs> like, nope, Batman doesn't do that. Booster Gold might do that. Right. But. I really like the last scene on them in the roof where he first takes pity on him and indulges his crocodile villain discussion, and then he says, I had to do this. I had to. I didn't have a choice. Sometimes I wish I had had a choice. You still have time to figure out who you want to be and who you... it was. A, I think it was a really good discussion between ostensibly two children, you know, one good who point. had no, who had no choice into becoming what he is, another one who is very different. So he has his his first Batman team up, which was I thought it was a fun issue. I thought about it as pick the week for a minute because it was a lot of fun and the art was Makes terrific. Sense. The art was terrific. I took a flyer on Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys: The Death of Nancy Drew, number one, written by Anthony Del Cole, art by Joe Isma, and this was from Dynamite. And I took a flyer because. As a kid, I read a lot of Hardy Boys books, a couple of Nancy Drews. I always loved the Hardy Boys, Frank and Joe, Hardy, the teen boy detectives. I loved boy detective books as a kid. I loved it. Encyclopedia Brown, I loved the Hardy Boys. Sure. This is a story about how Nancy Drew's body turns up and the Hardy Boys, well, one of the Hardy Boys, Joe, want to investigate her death, which just seems to be just a car accident, but Nancy was in the middle of investigating a local gang and at the end there's a twist and i'm not going to reveal the twist because i'm sure most people didn't read it it was solid it was okay joe he's my i've definitely seen his name before i'm sure i remember where that was nick spencer's uh image story joe isma was the artist on i don't remember the name of it it was the was it the went like 40 one? 50 issues or something like that hmm. it was solid it's enough for me to keep reading the mystery is interesting the only weird thing was that much like hellblazer it's a noir detective story there's a lot of like shadows of you know the windows on people's faces and stuff but there's almost no dialogue and it's almost all narration inside joe hardy's head it felt like i was being told the story as opposed to experiencing the story mm-hmm. and i don't mind narration but this was a lot of narration it was almost no dialogue except for a couple of scenes it's a little noir though it is very noir It was fun. If you're a Hardy Boys fan, I mean, it's obviously it's a, it's a modern sort of darker take on this stuff. I enjoyed it as an old fan of these boy detective stories. And so this is what Dynamite does is they get these licenses and they tell modern takes on them. And sometimes they're really good, sometimes they're not. Very minimalist cover. Real surprised. I know that you've sworn off the DC digital ones, but mm-hmm. I did make the point to let you know that Batman Gotham Knights number seven, written by Mark Russell with uh, pencils by Ryan Benjamin, is an inker. Richard Friend on it. It was a really fun little Batman story. It's about how Batman never really got the drop on Killer Moth. He's never uh, unmasked him, like how Killer Moth is a, a bigger threat than you would think. It's kind of a fun little sweet story, and how it ends, you know, is touching. It, it's a good little, you know, short story. If this was in one of those, you know, 80-page giants, you'd be like, oh, that was a fun little story. It was good. I also really dug the Harley Quinn book that he did digitally this week, too. I thought it was funny. But those two were good. They were worth reading. So check those out. Let's move along to the patron pick. 100 pages. Birds of Prey number one was 100 pages. <laughs> Patreon.com slash iFanboy. That's where you can go. Any patron can vote at any level to add a book to the rundown. That's what the patron pick is. And we thank those who do that. So before we get into the book itself, which I do want to get into, mm-hmm. I was pages. V- very confused because this book is Birds of Prey. It's a black label book from DC Comics. In February, there was Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey which was a black label book from DC Comics, written mm-hmm. by Amanda Connor, Jimmy Palmiotta, drawn by Amanda Connor. And that was issue one. Mm-hmm. This seems to be like a small graphic novel. Whereas that was issue one, there was never an issue two, and now suddenly we have a, a new Birds of Prey book from Black Label. This one written by Brian Azzarello and drawn by Emanuela Lupacino. I don't understand. No. When I saw this, I was like, oh, is this part two? And I was like, oh, wait, no, this is a whole different Birds of Prey book from Black Label. The other one yeah. never finished. Or never continued. I didn't know or think about any of that. I didn't know what this was. And I started reading, and somebody swore at one point, and I went, oh, oh, it's one of those. Black Label. It doesn't look like one of those, though, and I think that's what threw me off. Well, Emmanuel Lupacino, who I think is very talented, is a very superhero artist. Yeah. It wasn't like they had, like, Eduardo Riso or somebody like that who you expect to draw this kind of book. And that's not necessarily bad, but I think there is a thing that if you're going to do a book that... I had somebody tell me this once. I was writing a thing, and, and, and I had done something in the middle that was like a shocking thing. And, and the point was it wasn't really like at a story turn point, but it mm-hmm. takes you out of it. And I think that one of the things in this book is because it seems so much like a traditional Birds of Prey superhero book. It looks like it. It pretty much read like it. When they would do something that you wouldn't see in a normal book. 
instead of being shocking or interesting, it uh, it it was odd. Like it took me out of it. It was like a duck flew across the middle of the page. Mm-hmm. And that happened a couple times. And I feel like we've been doing mature comics for such a long time. How do we not know that? Basically, so what I'm saying is but by making it this type of mature reader book, it didn't actually add anything to it. It took away in that they said shit a couple of times. Well, they said fuck. They said a lot of things. No, I know. But like the point being like you could have done this as a regular all ages comic and it would not have made a difference. No, that's Other true. than the head thing. Nothing about the story that required it to be. Right. And so therefore, what, like what did I like? Do I, I need to have swearing? For me to feel like I'm reading a mature book, like it didn't like lend them any other creative freedom that they wouldn't have had otherwise. There wasn't nudity or sex. There was, I mean, there was the slightest hints of it, but that was about it. It reminds me of, oh man, I sound like an old man. It reminds me of my kids like stand up comedy, but I have a really hard time finding stand up comedy that I can play for them. And it becomes really obvious when comedians are just swearing all the time for no reason. Mm-hmm. There's people who do it beautifully and it needs to be there. But like there's other times where, you know, it kind of makes me respect like people like Gaffigan who are like, I'm going to tell the joke without doing that. And this kind of felt like that, if that makes sense. I didn't like this. I don't know if that's clear. It's funny because my biggest complaint to begin with was the 100 pages, but really didn't even feel that bad. Like I like I zipped through it. It moved pretty quick. Yeah. Didn't, it didn't take me that much longer. to read. There were at least three typos, which drove me crazy. And one of them was the same as an earlier one. Because, you know, you can, okay, it's this, there's shit going on. Things get missed or whatever. But it was like, it was an affect effect error. And they did it once. And I thought, oh, it happens. And then it was again on the next page. And it's like, you're telling me between the writer editor and letterer nobody caught that that's ridiculous i don't think anyone knows the difference in affect and effect well that's literally their job there's a lot of things about their jobs that, that they don't actually do yeah i did not like this either but i am predisposed to not like this this is basically as far as i can tell because i haven't seen it the movie you know it's harley quinn it's huntress it's black canary it's renee montoya i hate well documented I, I hate harley quinn as hero in addition to that i hate what's happened to black canary she's sort of the the story we don't really talk about as much in terms of characters that were ruined by the New 52. She was a great yeah. character previously. She had legacy. She was a founding member of the Justice League. She she was an important part of the universe. And you just never see her. She's been regulated to a singer who occasionally you know gets involved but is mostly a, a singer in a rock band. And it's just like she's never used for anything. And she has no impact anymore. And so she's kind of irrelevant as a character. And so she's been ruined by that change. The Huntress here is basically the Huntress. They haven't really done much to her. And I don't like the Huntress. Well, I like her as a character I just, before. I, I, uh, it doesn't I, matter. I, I never got a handle on her. I don't think anybody else did for the writers. No, I don't think it's true. She was a pretty big mainstay in those Batman family books, you know, Yeah. a while ago. She's like the harder-edged, she's sort of the Jason Todd. And when Jason Todd came back, yeah. she becomes sort of irrelevant. So, you know, they're fighting the cartel while also being chased and hounded by the Joker because he wants Harley back. We never see the Joker's face. Does he talk? I don't think he talks either. Or maybe he doesn't. No, anymore. no, he doesn't talk. He laughs. There's a heh. But he doesn't, which I thought I, I thought that was well done. It was like this was like Brian Azzarello. It's like somebody wrote it and he came in and he was like, do it like this and this and this and then walked away. It was definitely an Azzarello light, which I actually yeah. appreciated because it wasn't. Yes. It didn't feature a lot of the problems that his work can have. It doesn't always have. And I certainly have enjoyed things he's written. But he often gets really obtuse in his storytelling. This is pretty standard, mm-hmm. clear storytelling. And there are nice devices in it. Yeah, I just, I'm just predisposed to hate the, even the, the base concept of it. Yeah. I just think that so much of it was hacky. <laughs> like, I like having her drummer overdose because she relapsed and dies, and that's what makes her go do the thing. It just felt like there was all these kind of interesting setups. The thing at the beginning where she gets called by an agent who she'd had an affair with, who she didn't really like as he's about to get killed. I was like, that's interesting. That, that nothing really nowhere. happened with it. The whole opening of the story Nowhere. is about Dinah dealing with the memories of being a secret agent alongside Steve Trevor and Slade Wilson in this covert group. And one of their members is murdered by a drug cartel. And granted, it's the cartel they end up fighting, but it had no relevance None. to the opening. Like, you could have removed that scene and the story wouldn't have changed at all. They still would have been just fighting a drug gang in, the, in Gotham. There was there ended up being no tie-in to her past or the agency. You know, there wasn't any reveal in that relationship that made them opening scene relevant at all yeah i mean this is basically a book where they said we this movie's coming out we need a book to tie into it they just happen to put higher quality people on the book than they would have put normally azrael is a talented guy there's shades of things near like that's interesting but then everything that sort of comes after is just mediocre 
is just shy of interesting. Mm-hmm. And then they do another thing, and you're like, oh, that's kind of interesting, and then do nothing with it. Like, I don't know. The girl dying of the overdose in the house, you know, and like it just was, it felt so rote. You know, the beats of the story were just things we've seen a thousand times, and, and it, they weren't particularly interesting, except there were seeds of interesting things in there. So I guess they could do that again, but, uh, you know, at the end, I was just, yeah. I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it, again, mostly because of the foundational elements. I think, as again, I like Emmanuel Lupacino a lot. She's a, she's a really solid artist. She draws very beautiful women. It moved. It wasn't a slog. I mean, I've read these books where it's so like this. It's been a slog. This, I finished pretty quick. So I have to give the credit credit, credit for that. I know we're done with this, but there's a lot of left-handed panel stacking in here, which wasn't lettered to help it. I thought there was not good lettering in this. And I looked, and, you know, the letter is Steve Wands. He's not inexperienced. He's done lots of books before. I think there's a lot going on behind the scenes of this in terms of sort of editorial, like it's going to be like this and not like this and that. You know, and they're just like, here's the book. You know, they take take the thing. People will buy it because Harley Quinn's on it, I guess. So let's do ratings. Ratings. Ratings on... Black Birds of Prey. It's called Black Canary. Birds of Prey, number one. I guess just, was, it, was it even number one? It's just Birds of Prey. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know. I'm going to give it uh, I closed it. I'm not even looking at it anymore. I'm done. I'll give it a three out of five because I think there was talent here. I just didn't like it. But I respect it. It's just Birds of Prey. There's no number one. It's just Birds of Prey. Comixology calls it issue one. No, I think everything's issue just one. It's like the same, same format. It does. Yeah, I know. Exactly. doesn't matter. Uh, two? Two out of five. All right. Two. Sticking with uh, you know, further volumes? No. Okay. No. Right. No. Let's move on to the patron power. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. As I said, anyone can vote to add a book to the rundown, but if you give it a $5 or higher level, you get your own power live on the show. And we'll kick it off by thanking Jake Rose. Jake Rose. Jake Rose has the power once a year to uncancel any TV show that has been canceled in that year. Just hmm. brings it back. Here's the question. Can't be an old show. Does Jake Rose have good taste? That's between you and Jake Rose, really, but Well, can't. I mean, but let's just let's, you know, let's hash it out. Like is he going to is he going to be like we're going to bring back Fear Factor or, or is he, he going to make sure we get to see Terriers? I mean, not I know that, no, I know that that's be, not it's in your rule. Has to be I know, that's that not the point. The, the the theme of it is what what type of things is he going to be saving? You have to ask Jake. I don't know. That's no way for me to know. Jake, you have a lot of power here. Jake, write in and tell us what you would have uncanceled this year. Yeah, I agree. Jake's going to be all like, I don't watch TV, man. (laughs) Yeah, I don't own a TV. Which is the tragedy sometimes in the power. Yes. He has the power. There it is. And he's like, fuck it. I don't care. You know? TV rules you, man. So so he asks asks his dumb brother, would you like? He's like, (laughs) all right, it's two more young Sheldon, man. (laughs) Maybe that show's good. I don't know. And I never will. Bryce Bridges has the ability to watch, if he watches at least 15 seconds of credits, either beginning or end of any program, he can tell if uh, he will like the rest of it. Oh, this is TV week on the Patreon Powers. T- or movies. It works for anything. Like, if, if you uh, put on, you know, uh, uh, the, ni- the 2009 movie State of Play, and right. you let him watch the end credits for 10 minutes, go, oh, this is worth my time. Or for 10 seconds, or 15 seconds, that's worth my time. And he'll be, he can watch it and know that it'll be okay. Hmm. He can he can discern from the credits uh, like tea leaves whether it's it's quality. All right, well, there you go, Bryce and Jake. It's weird, I admit. It's a time saver. Well, yeah, well, that's the thing. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of fucking options. <laughs> so, Bryce and Jake, thanks for being patrons at Patreon.com/ifanboy, and anyone can uh, do that. And we have a lot of new ones, and I think we have I think we have patrons through the end of the year. That's, we got I a lot think, yeah, no, I noticed that the list was not not ending as soon as it had been. Right. So thanks for that. You guys are just, literally making the show longer. Yeah, you're giving us more content. Yeah. There's that word again. Let's welcome Ron to the show. Hello, guys. How you doing? There he is. So sorry I missed last week. The world plotted against me. We know how important this is to you, so we it really recognize is. that. No, no, I mean, the, there should be no doubt anybody. He's committed. I had like, literally cleared the time and everything. I don't know if you – I didn't listen to the show last week. Sorry. But, uh, <laughs> not uh, that committed. There was, there was – <laughs> Not that important. There was drilling in my building that was not only made recording not okay, but drove my daughter insane. So I was dealing with screaming babies for like two hours. Well, all that's behind us as we enter part five of The Revenge of Cobra, Amusement Park of Terror – G.I. Joe, Real American Hero, original air date September 14th, 1984. Directed by Dan Thompson, written by Ron Friedman, and produced by Ron Friedman for Marvel Productions. 
So a, a couple of things before we get into this. I wanted to say this last week that Zartan has been bugging me because there was a, a familiarity with the character that I couldn't quite put my finger on. And then I clicked last week, actually, with the last episode. He's just an amalgam of Alice Cooper and Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> yep. Right? <laughs> yeah, the doubling of the voice is exactly what I've been hearing. That's Ozzy. Yeah, and, and he looks, and he's got the the eye paint is like Alice, yeah. and yeah. and and even the hood they, they they're an, well looks don't like start the anime, yeah, but it looks like hair, right? Like clearly someone was into metal at that point in 1984. I think yeah. that was that was yeah. that was definitely the case, and and someone was into uh, Quincy era punks for the Dreadnoughts. <laughs> yeah, for exactly, or DC Comics. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> this issue, uh, this episode, we did this last week. This episode opens. With Zartan having stolen the all-important third piece of the Weather Dominator, and he's now going to auction it off to the highest bidder between Cobra and G.I. Joe as he returns to his base of operations, which we see for the first time, the old Bayou World Park in the swamps of Florida. They never say Florida, by the way. Well, they say he's in the bayou. He's in the bayou, he's in the swamps, and everyone instinctively turns left and knows where to go. Yes, no one needs the coordinates. They just know exactly where to go. And also, they show a map at one point, and I was like, that is definitely not Florida. It looks more like India than it looked like Florida in terms of the uh, landmass jutting out. Who knows? Maybe in this world, Florida is much smaller and, and not as pointy. We can but. only hope. So what did you guys think of the Bayou World Park base? This whole thing, I've got two kind of overarching thoughts of it. Is one that this episode felt like Dan Thompson and Rod Friedman and Bruce Tim and all the rest of the crew were like, let's just wrap this up. <laughs> but that was after they'd filled twenty minutes, right? <laughs> like, I, like they got all three pieces, and I was like, there's like five minutes left. <laughs> and it occurred like, like it was like, it was, oh, I skipped a part. So before we get to that, there's another incredible use of dodgy physics in which the cliffhanger is that the, the snow is falling on the Joes. Yes. The avalanche is coming to take them. So it opens with the Joes shooting their laser guns at the snow and melting it away and saving their lives. I mean, I realize we don't really... That's la- not how that works. Laser guns aren't real, but I don't think that works that way. It's really funny because I do love it and I love watching this. Yeah, and yeah. I say this with the greatest heart. But like, I feel like the regular series episodes weren't this bad. Not the bad one. Not the dodgy. This is a bad episode, and this is not the dodgy physics side of it or anything like that. But there's just straight up the animation is bad. When Flint and Shipwreck and Lady J are in the Sky Striker, they have helmets, and then the next shot they don't. Right. Well, to be fair, there was a scene earlier on when there was two timbers. Yes. Timber in the jeep and timber walking around outside the jeep. So can you? Can you? That was Lady Timber. I want you to picture the scene that they get the tapes back from Korea. And they open them up and they put them in and they just like, they roll up their shirt sleeves and it's just, oh God, I got to put this on the master. Like that's all they had. That's it. They're out of time. This is what they got back and they have to use it. The guy's like, there's two timbers in that scene. And Ron Friedman just takes a big drag of his cigarette. He's like, what are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) What are you going to do? There was also a scene with, with a low shot of Flint flying the jet where it was not Flint. The face was unrecognizable. Also, the Sky Striker wings are extended, then they're not extended, then they are extended. It, it's a continuity I think, nightmare. I think that's why I don't understand to this day when you ha- when I see one of those jets, like when they're supposed to come out, when they're <laughs> not. I don't know if I, 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 I suppose I could watch Top Gun, but I'm not sure how reliable that is as a source. So the question <laughs> but, I had uh, when watching the opening after the physics snow situation with, with Bayou World Park is just how sophisticated are the dreadnoughts? I think you're supposed to think they're not because they're punks and they their weapons are kind of rudimentary and they live in a swamp but they're not punks they're like they're like metal roadies <laughs> they're they, the dreadnoughts are not sophisticated but zartan is is zartan's yeah. all up on tech because that base is, is, is as sophisticated as any other base that we've seen so far it goes up and down and they really love the large structure coming up out of the ground we had the cobra yeah. temple that goes up and down and here we have an entire roller coaster <laughs> that is also a radio tower and an escape roller coaster <laughs> Because when Zartan, when the jig is up, uh, Zartan and the Dreadnoughts go take the roller coaster down to the ground to then escape, which I thought was fascinating. Because G.I. Joe disables the power to the amusement park for the all the weapons, but the structure of the roller coaster is still powered. 
is yeah. dodgy as to what that power plant powered, actually. <laughs> well, this was like a weird Joker fever dream when they first arrive and all the rides start shooting at them. and Echoes of Arcade and Marvel. So Cobra <laughs> attacks the base and the Joes attack the base. And they're both attacking the base in different ways. And they start shooting at Cobra. The laser cannons come out from everywhere and start shooting. I did notice that the laser cannons have no effect on anything. They shot the Hiss tank. There was no scratch. There was no dent. There was no smoke. There was no fire. There was no damage. It just would hit the fist tank and nothing would happen. And yet the troops would go running. Everyone would clear out because of the attack. But it had no effect on the, on the vehicles. I noticed that when, to skip ahead, when they made the assault on Cobra Temple, I think it is called in this yes. one, uh, at the end, uh, they finally get the all clear to go forward. And they all just shoot their missiles at the ground. Yeah, and they, just are, they just unload everything they've got, no matter how far away they are. They reload without anyone reloading because Gung Ho shoots all his missiles and then the next shot he's got a full uh, <laughs> barrage of missiles again. <laughs> it's because there's an intern back there who's just loading them up. That was funny. That was hilarious. We're all clear. Shoot everything. And then there's the other Joes who had to run like four miles across the desert because there was some Joes who were running and shooting and some were in cars. Yeah, but that four miles was just the distance between the Joe base and the Cobra base. Like They were like, we'll go on foot. We'll catch up. Like It's not far. Uh, yeah. This wasn't a great episode. The, the bio world attack. Bio... bio the bayou. The bio world. The bayou, bayou world. world. Was fine. By the way, also, the level of effort that Zartan went to putting guns in every ride yeah. in a ride-appropriate manner, like the spinny ride had the guns spinning and like all this stuff, way too much attention for 30 seconds of guns. It didn't pay off. You know what? I think we've learned, if nothing else, more the Cobra side, but the G.I. Joe's, but the sort of amount of resources they put into what they get back is often uh, incongruous. You I don't mean, know the, why. It's not it's suspect. The, the thing at the end where all of, because after all of the vehicles attack the cobra temple the co- their idea is lower the temple and so <laughs> and, like, there's a, okay. and there's just a and switch the, outside <laughs> so the question it's is outside it, this doesn't even have a cover over it. <laughs> no, it's just a when they lower the temple does it then move underground or is it just hiding I, 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 it just hides like they know it's there like <laughs> yeah. we can't get them now oh it's gone oh well let's jump ahead because i did really enjoy the part where storm shadow infiltrates the joe base even though it was ridiculous. There's only two Joes guarding the, the front of the base, this giant base. But sure. I love the ninja action. I'm sure I loved it as a kid. He sneaks around through the shadows. He, he does actually ninja stuff. It's no wonder we liked this because Storm Shadow is literally the only competent character in this. <laughs> like, it's the part, like, they animated that part well. Everything sort of calms down. You get to watch him do his thing. He's good at it. Everything else is just a bungling nightmare. They really let it sort of breathe. And he does the Ethan Hunt move where he hooks himself into the thing and that down. was my question. Was do, I don't know who wrote that first Mission Impossible movie, but do you think he was a G.I. Joe fan? <laughs> I had that thought. It, it was straight. I mean, like the, the Mission Impossible scene was straight out of this. It was cool. I mean, it was fun. And, you know, you, you got some of those uh, Brooklyn-y, not Brooklyn-y Joes who were guarding the base, short fuse, and who just had a feeling. Who had a feeling and, and was very late with it both times. Uh-huh. That scene was terrific. I have no problems with that sequence. I thought that was a great sequence. But the other main thing that happens is the Joes, who have been previously captured by Cobra, escape in time for the attack on Cobra Temple. And Hang on, though, because you've got Duke and Snake Eyes and Roadblock and Honda Lou or Honda Lee or whatever. Honda Lou. Honda Lee was a punch out. Um, and they've got the big electrical snakes attacking them, and Duke realizes they need to reverse the polarity, which is like, okay. And so he has an idea, and him and Snake Eyes throw Honda Lou, and she flies 50 feet in the air to hook onto one of the antennas, and at that point, Duke decides to tell her what to do. <laughs> right. I-, I noticed that, too. <laughs> Not yep. great leadership there, Duke. Maybe tell her before you throw her. Just hoping that she has the f- athletic ability to grab onto this pole as she's flying through the air, and then bend it towards the other pole. And no uh, regard for her safety at all. She's a, she's a civilian. They can they, she's they can sacrifice her. Well, and then some point later on, <laughs> she don't have to put that on the books. She engages in the Yo Jo chant with them. The call and response Yo Jo. She she's one of the people that calls back, and that's when I realized that Yo Jo is a cult. They're both cults, really. Thing. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, no, totally. Interesting thing about that is that I feel like they didn't turn her into a character. Like they could have, you know, no, they did not. Some sort of trucker character. Yeah. Right, like, but you know, like we always, they like to make a toy out of anything they could. They they had a, they had a character there. Can I go through a couple of my notes here yeah, that yeah. I have? Go for it. Go for it. Okay, Lady J is carrying the most expensive spear on earth with a gigantic <laughs> diamond in it, which well, that's ice in a way that doesn't dr- work. Drills have diamond tips. All right, it's not that. I mean, I, I had the same thought, but there's a lot of infrastructure around something like that. She's just carrying around a. a 
$300 million diamond. It's a sort of secondary function. I think one thing, if I can give the episode some credit, I feel they, they normalized the sizing of the three Weather Dominator pieces. Mm-hmm. You know, we at least, okay, now we know how big they are. They're not going to keep changing. You can't play hockey with them. That was nice. There were two fantastic and unexplainable reverses uh, in this episode. One is uh, they get the stuff. And Destro's like, all right, and here's Zartan. He screwed us over. And Cobra Commander's like, don't worry about it. Eh, no big deal. Don't worry about it. And Zart and Destro is fuming. Then, a minute later, they're like, Destro, get up in the weather dominator. He's like, you know what? All of it's forgotten. <laughs> you got it, boss. Like, yep. yeah, I was, I was expecting some, some sort of fallout. There was a great shot of Destro's face as Cobra Commander is just going to let it go. And he was all pissed off. And, oh, this is great. It's going to set up later on. But nope, he's back to being the good soldier. I mean, I don't know. Does, does Zartan have a P-tape? I mean, what is going on there? I do appreciate that the console was still broken from the previous episode. I do. That is a nice bit of... Yeah. I would not expect that level of animation to keep the damaged part of the console. Well, that was a plot point. You know, that wasn't just a helmet. It's a... Uh, maybe. That's true. Ron, I know you'll appreciate this, and I'm, you probably saw it yourself. This was the first instance of Snake Eyes and Roadblock both had grenades attached to their belts. I did notice that. I did. We also got Snake Eyes doing the cuckoo sign uh, towards <laughs> yep. Roadblock. <laughs> so, that was good. We talked about it in the past. It's one of our favorite things about the cartoon. Snake Eyes <laughs> and Roadblock are both captured. They've had their guns taken away. And in the past, at least before, we didn't have this problem. But here, Snake Eyes literally has like three grenades strapped across his chest. And Roadblock has at least two. And you figure they could have used those to escape. I feel like they were escaping last week. Uh, they're, and they're still like running around like they got lost in the hallways. Yeah, they started last week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also enjoyed that safety is a priority at the corporate temple because they had the fire hose in the main viewing room in case of fire. <laughs> they think of everything. They've got the um, poster you're supposed to put up with your rights and regulations as, a, as an employee of Cobra. They have the fire hose. They have all that stuff. They're no Star Wars Empire. That's true. <laughs> it, it just it wrapped up so quickly and so conveniently, and it ends exactly the same way as the first miniseries with Destro and now Zartan escaping, this time via hang glider, and the Joes capturing Cobra Commander, who, by the way, was underserved in this miniseries. He was relegated to that control room. I wanted more Cap- Cobra Commander in the field. So did your daughter. And she did. She's pissed. The thing is, though, they had too many. You know, between Zartan, Destro, and Cobra Commander... And this was about the Dreadnoughts for the most part. Yep. So Cobra Commander got shunted off to the side. This was the first episode of all the ones we've done is, that wasn't great. So it just wasn't. The animation wasn't good. The story wasn't good. It just really felt like they're like, just wrap this up. Question I thought of as is, this is more of a general G.I. Joe cartoon question. Or, and I know the answer is toys, but why do you think, and I know, Ron, this is not a knock on the character, but why do you think they felt the need to introduce Flint, who was basically just Duke, but cooler? And is that the answer? I got to, that's, there's the answer right there. <laughs> I got to, I got to assume it was just the toys and adding more folks. I think that's it. My bigger question is why take the time to introduce Shipwreck and then do nothing with him in this miniseries? Right. That's also a great point. He basically, I think he has one line in this whole episode. He doesn't do hardly anything. The whole Lady J situation with him and Flint goes away. There's no talk about that. Except they keep all riding together and that's Guy Striker. <laughs> it's a nice little thruple there, right there. <laughs> thruple. There you go. <laughs> oh man well this has been this has been a joy and fun i know we said we were going to do them all but now the comics are back are we going to continue this or what's the plan (laughs) well maybe so we talked about earlier in the episode we've added a new stretch goal to our patreon and that is in between where we are now and the barbecue video show returning is if we hit the next level we will add a new show to our repertoire of shows Will it be called G.I. Joe Corner? I don't know. We haven't really talked about that. But it'll be a show that takes a look at every episode of the regular series, which starts after this. So after this, you, you go into the regular series that runs for however many episodes. G.I. Joe, Real American Hero. That includes the PSAs, includes all the stuff you remember as a kid. The show will be some some frequency. We haven't really talked yeah. about it weekly, monthly. It'll be a lot easier to do it in a focused manner and not compete with the comics and take away from the comics and that sort of thing. Think of like what we did with Goodfellas Minute, but not minute by minute. Just and also not daily. Yeah, not daily. But not um, daily. But this is a great way. I mean, some of you don't care for this. Some yeah. of you do care for it. If you do care for it, you can vote with your dollar, and we will make the time, and we'll do it. I, I, I said I, I'll take this. I'll take this to the end of the line, and I'm committed. I will. <laughs> so, so. so that's our new stretch goal: Patreon.com/slash/fanboy. If you want to hear more GI Joe talk, if we actually get close to that stretch goal, we'll start figuring out the details of what it'll be called and how often it'll come out. But it'll be a regular 
show that we will do. So if you want to hear Yo more Joe. G.I. Joe Corner, that's what you can do. Ron, can you hang out for one email? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. We've been waiting to do this email for weeks. So David D. wrote in and said, I'm a big fan of the Goodfellas Minute podcast. It's my absolute favorite podcast of all time, which is incredible. He says, I know it's over, but I wanted to share my personal connection to the story with you guys. My mom's boyfriend, significant other Tom, back in the 70s and 80s, was Steve Caracappa's partner. Steve's next partner was one Lou Epolito. Steve was sentenced with Lou in 2006. My mom told me that Tom said he was the sleaziest piece of shit he ever met. Wow. So David D.'s mom's boyfriend was the partner of one of the dirty cops who was involved in the story of Goodfellas. So is this like our like six degrees of Kevin Bacon kind of thing where we are now connected to the you whole... Wanna, you want to be careful about the word connected. True, that's a good <laughs> point. Fair point, fair point. No, but it, it is interesting to see how, uh, again, what, what was so great about Goodfellas is that it's based in reality and that these these old people really exist and they're still coming out of the woodwork and they're still... Or, but... Uh, <laughs> 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 the story's got legs. That's all I'm saying. And and we're, we're, we are, even though it was th- 20 years ago now, 30 years ago, we're getting to the point where it, it's not, that's not going to happen anymore. So I love hearing these sort of stories and these kind of reflections on the real people that it affected. That's cool. Thanks. Thanks for writing in. That's awesome. And that was our podcast. Goodfellas minute. We did however many years ago, which you can still find at, goodfellasminute.com still exists but can you yeah it's still there and, and you can still subscribe to the feed and it's all running it's up and running it's people, all people, you, people, people still, still listen to the it show. Yeah. Yeah, well, I know they download it I just know they download it from most of my iTunes I don't know if you can still stream the show on goodfellasminute.com though uh, I gotta fix that uh, yeah. you can't but, yeah. but we will fix that it's just a lot of manual work but we'll figure it out the show's available on, on iTunes wherever you get your podcast so if you're a fan of Goodfellas we did a great I thought it was a great podcast on Goodfellas. Yeah, it was fun. A few years ago. Yeah. All, right. All right, gentlemen. Well, I'm going to take my leave so you can finish the show. Um, I love being back for this. I hope we can do more of it. And uh, listen to Media Explode. Right? Because I'm, I'm, I'll be back there. Yes. And we have a very exciting topic for the next episode. Uh, I can't wait. Good luck with the rest of your afternoon. <laughs> so <laughs> so contact.ifanboy.com is how you can write us in. If you are like David, you don't even have to have a connection to Goodfellas, although that would be great if you did. What do we got coming up, Josh? What we have out is Kelly Thompson. Talksplode is is up. I hope you got a chance to listen to it. If you haven't, it's still there, and it will be uh, as far for as long as I know. I think it's a really great conversation. Like I said, I talked to her twice. This is the second one was sort of a it was a totally different kind of conversation. It wasn't a do over. It was a new thing. No, yeah, no. It was a, we had a. I'm, I I don't know how to do that. It was like the second episode from a show you never got to see the first episode of. Yeah, and the first episode was okay, but the second episode was better. This was uh, the like Battlestar Galactica thirty three. Mm-hmm. There's Media Explode number three, which also came out right on the heels of that one, where we talked about some stuff we were streaming, and I can't remember. We talked about High Fidelity. We talked about That's it. Picard. We talked about the launch of HBO Max. We talked about the shows we've been watching in intervening month between shows. Yep. It was packed, but it was a tight one hour. And then since the last show, a third show came out, people. Animation Brain Trust got together. They did Justice League Dark, The Apocalypse War, where Connor and Paul and Ryan, yep. that's the Animation yep. Brain Trust, correct? Yep. Yes. Yep. Yep. So that's available. Lots of shows back there. And so it's probably, it's very possible that you maybe missed one of those in your feed as you weren't yep. paying attention. They were keep coming in. So make sure you check those out if any of them sound, uh, sound interesting Those got you. stacked on stacked on stacked. So you have to yep. go back in your feed and download them because you probably missed at least one of them. Coming and, up, we've been talking about this, been teasing it. It's the Booksplode, Jack Kirby's New Gods. We both have been making concerted effort this past week to read. I plowed through four or five of them uh, yeah. this week. We're going to do that. And then the next one's going to come out almost very soon after. We're going to pick a much quicker, smaller book to do. We are not shirking our duties. And we will, once we get new gods out of the way, we'll sit down and look at the schedule and figure out how often they have to come out to make sure you get all your episodes for the rest of the year. Probably won't be every other month. It might, it might be every like six weeks or something because we have to get you all your shows. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be a great conversation. I'm so excited to talk about this book. It's just Absolutely. They're, they're very, very dense. It's a very rich meal. Very rich meal. You can't, you can't take in too much of a time. It will blow your head I off. I mean, the fact of the matter is we could talk about it right now and have a great conversation. 100%. I just want to read the whole thing to get it yeah. all of it. But there's so much to talk about even in, in that, the amount I've read so far. So that'll be coming soon. You can find it at fanboy.com. That's where you can find all the podcasts Josh just mentioned. If you don't want to just download them, you can stream them directly from the website. And you can find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out by liking facebook.com slash ifanboy or following ifanboy on Twitter and ifanboy comics on Instagram, which also features the best of the week in panels feature. Individually, we are CS Kilpatrick on Instagram, Jay Flanagan on Instagram and Twitter technically, although you're still on a break, and Ron XO on Twitter and Instagram. 
is where you can find Ron. And you can subscribe to our YouTube page, which we talked about earlier, youtube.com slash ifanboy. That's where you can keep up to date on the old video shows that we are re-uploading. This week, I think we did the Alan Moore Spotlight and oh. one we did about convention sketches. Every Monday is a new mini. I can't find my sketchbook, by the way. Uh, mine has got to be somewhere. Mine's somewhere. Every Monday is a new mini. This week's mini was the new comics preview. Sorry, not exciting. <laughs> this was a vault. Alan Moore was last week. This week we had a vault episode, which was always great. People often wondered where we talked about graphic novels or indie books. That was often in the vault episodes. We did A Complete Low Life. We did The Adventures of Barry Ween, Boy Genius, and we did Mad Love in that episode. So that's a good one. That is good stuff. If you like this show, I very much recommend, uh, I would ask, I humbly request that you get over to the the rating area of your, your podcast choice. Most For most people, that's Apple Podcasts. Leave a star rating and review or something like that. You know, it's kind of interesting is that since we started doing this, podcasting as a thing is, has very much changed. It's gotten a lot bigger. And we're, com- you know, basically we're competing against people who have a heck of a lot more resources. And we're holding our own in terms of if you go search comic books, we're up there. And, and that means a ton to us. But the reason that that happens is because so many of you went and did this thing that we asked, which doesn't take a lot. But you went, you left a star rating, you left a review. And it's kind of rad if I think about it in those yeah, terms. It's great. Like, we really do appreciate it. At this point, if you launch a podcast and there's not a celebrity involved with it, you're not getting up there again. But it's really cool. So do that for us if you haven't, if you can. Do that for other shows you listen to that are important. You can you can help those guys out. That is a really meaningful way that you can you can contribute to the thing you're doing if for some reason you can't or don't want to do any of the other kind of stuff uh, that we talked about earlier. Better yet, tell people about it. Share it on social media. Let us know that that you know that when you, if you're enjoying the shows. Uh, I mean, you could tell us if you're not, but it'll just make us sad. Um, <laughs> but uh, tell your friends. Thank you for everybody who's been doing that. And thanks, Ron, for showing up. It's a real challenge for him to fit this into his yes. day. And so we appreciate that As he does you, that. You might have heard. Yeah, he probably did. That's um, how much he's really... excited to talk about G.I. Joe. So hopefully we can yeah. hit that stretch goal. And until then, I am Connor. And I'm Josh. Thank you so much for listening. Speedo, he don't never take it slow. Well, not a yacht, he's got a speedo, but my.